welcome to Sports Talk, brought to you by sportstalk.ie. I'm Denise O'Flaherty and over the next couple of months, I'll be interviewing a broad range of sports stars and personalities in a nice, relaxed and casual format. Our show is sponsored by the fantastic Medell Healthcare and we would like to thank them for their continued sponsorship, even in these difficult times. My first guest was the one that put the ball in the English net. It's former Liverpool and Republic of Ireland midfielder, Ray Houghton. Pre-Covid, Ray, you were playing for the Liverpool legends and also the Republic of Ireland legends, dazzling supporters with your skills. I suppose it's a great pastime now for yourself and then obviously to catch up with your former teammates. Yeah, it is. Uh, we don't do it often enough, obviously. So I've only played in a few, but the only real time that we all get together as a group. There are occasions when you know, the Liverpool boys uh, get together maybe at Christmas, and that's normally up there in Liverpool. So, it's, so the ones that don't live nearby, it's a little bit more difficult for them. And it's the same with Ireland, you know, because we're all, uh, all across Britain and, and the world, if you like. I think the likes of Terry Fields in India at the minute. So um, it's not always easy to meet up. But when we do, you know, it's just reminiscing about old times, you know, the, when we played in games, the competitions that we played in, you know, the, the, the fun times in training and one thing and another that you, you talk about. But it's great to reminisce about, you know, what happened in your career because, you know, once you're, you know, once you're finished and, you know, you're finished for a while, you, you tend to forget, you know, certainly you tend to forget games. And it's always nice to be reminded by your teammates. When you are playing, you're kind of in that bubble and you don't probably appreciate everything until you sit back and relax and think back to what you've won, you know, things that didn't go your way. Yeah, but the other, the other thing with that, and you're absolutely right, 100%, right? But I think, I'd like to be honest with you, the only way you get is if you didn't do that. It was a really weird feeling. It's only recently I've been going like that, you know, mm. when you see yourself, you know, or someone sends you a video of your playing and you're like, oh, right, oh, oh, no, is that really me? You know, because you've been out of it that long, you know, and you've not been involved in the game for such a long time. Uh, it seems a bit, uh, it seems a bit strange, to be honest. Um, but yeah, no, you know, you just have the great memories, you know, of cup finals and, you know, going to World Cups and European Championships and things like that, you know. And it's great to, you know, to look back and, you know, see the achievements and the players, uh, you know, and how we talk together as a group and, you know, the rewards that we got. Um, it wasn't money-wise, I guess. It was certainly, you know, rewards of being around the fans. Because I think that's something that's missing today. You know, when, when we played, you know, after a game, you go back to the hotel, particularly away games, and the, the fans would be in the same hotel as you, and you'd, you'd be able to be at the bar with them and chat about the game. I don't think that happens in football anymore, and I think certainly modern-day fans miss out uh, from that point of view. Our players, I don't know how the players would get on with that, uh, but certainly back then, it was, it was commonplace. Yeah, it was a connection with the fans. Your club career, you've been with a number of clubs, but I suppose for a lot of people in Ireland, you'll be remembered, obviously, Aston Villa, but uh, Liverpool, and you look at the highs and maybe some of the lows that you had at Liverpool, you won the Cup, uh, won leagues. I suppose, 88-89, you were stopped from doing the double by losing to Arsenal in that last game of the season. Michael Thomas, never forgive him. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing, you know, but, uh, when you think about it, I think three seasons, my first three seasons at Liverpool, we turned down the double. Um, so we won the league in 87 88, and we lost to Wimbledon in the Cup final. The following, which was tough, you know, your first ever FA Cup player. I played in the league that final, the 
of Oxford, and she mm. packed up the seasons before, but this is my first FA Cup. It's huge. Uh, it's something that uh, I grew up watching, you know, from way back in the day when I was about four or five, when I you know, first really got involved in playing football and training and you know, being out there trying to uh, do everything in a, every day, you know, as far as improving myself. Um, I always watched the Cup final every year. It was the highlight of the year because there wasn't much... Um, live football back then yeah. so to play in the the FA Cup final was absolutely massive and what a massive letdown it was you know losing to, to Wimbledon and you know everything that went with it you know the, we were such firm favourites going into the game and not to play like we, like we had done that season uh, was uh, was awful to be honest and there's no worse place to, to lose than at Wimbledon you know in, in a final you know it's great when you win but when yeah. you lose you know you just it's, it's just you just want to get out of the out of the place as quickly as possible. And then the following season, you know, we have the uh, the Hillsborough tragedy, uh, which obviously prolonged the season. Uh, and then we came on an unbelievable run um, to get ourselves into just uh, ahead of Arsenal for yeah. the last game. And then uh, we only had to lose the game by one goal. Uh, and there we were, eight nine minutes into the game, one nil down, uh, about to do the double. And, Mickey Thomas comes up with that goal, um, which was incredible. You know, uh, nothing really. Uh, what we had to do was hold on to the ball, which we were very good at, and they'd done so well all season at doing it. And we didn't do it for that one moment. And it was life changing for the Arsenal players, that's for sure. And for us, you know, another chance to do the double in the final season. Uh, we won the league and we lost, uh, I think it was the semi final of the Cup to Crystal Palace. 4-3, so that's how close we were again, you know, so we, we were certainly a dominant side at that stage, uh, both in the league and the FA Cup, and you know, in reflection, and you're saying about, you know, things that you look back on and regrets, not to have done the double with that team that we had, it was a great shame, because I think we certainly deserved to do it, you know, not could have done, as I said, on more than one occasion as well. I read your Liverpool notebook, it was the 88-89 season, you were very honest in it and obviously you mentioned um, the Hillsborough tragedy and thank God those supporters were vindicated. But it was a great way to get an insight into how you and the players were feeling. You know, the whole season was going so well, as you said, and then all of a sudden you had Hillsborough. For you as players to actually be able to then a couple of weeks afterwards tug out and play again. I don't think it happened today. Yeah. Personally, I don't think I, I think the season would have been uh, cut short. Mm. I think it was just said no, we're not going to play on. I just think it's different times. And, yeah. and, and you probably would have, and you didn't know it then. You know, some of you would have suffered from post-traumatic stress. Yeah, no, I mean we didn't. It wasn't as if we had any, you know, psychiatrists mm. or any top ten players. In my therapy was sitting in Anfield with uh, relatives. Uh, and family members of people who, who died and sitting down with them because their passion was in the club. You know, that was where they, you know, they went to, to, to Anfield and played the away games to watch their, you know, their, their, their club perform. And obviously, you know, the fans wants to be around. We used to go in and just sit there and talk to um, the families. And I, I, to be honest with you, you know, when the first 
that one time that he's football yeah. machine and we're all in it, you know, we all feel it. Uh, and, you know, it could have been, you know, that day, it could have happened to their supporters. Um, and that's why I think today we we're being treated a bit differently. I think back then, they just got over it, you know, and it was just a case of, you know, get yourself ready and off you go again. And, Basically uh, man up, isn't it, really? played under Kenny Dalglish. I suppose being from Glasgow, growing up, you're probably seeing him playing for Scotland and playing for Celtic and Liverpool, and then to actually have him as your manager. Yeah, I mean, it was probably easier for me because um, you know I never had him as a teammate. Yeah. You know, I never played with him. So, but for the other players, it must have been really difficult. You know, you've called him Kenny and probably a few other names as well during uh, you know your time as a player. If we, and then all of a sudden you've got to call him boss or whatever, you know, so he's gone from player to player manager and, you know, it's obviously the, when you're in the change and in the stories, you tell he walks in and then you sort of set him. He was, a, he was great, great for me, you know, and, and great for all the players, you know, because he knew the game, he understood, he understood the pressures you were going through, he understood when things weren't going well, uh, you know, what to say to you. They're great staff, Roy Evans and Ronnie Milan and, and Kenny, you know, the ego. They all understood the game inside out. Uh, Phil Thompson were really with the reserves. It was uh, a very fortunate place to be. Uh, but remarkable. Because we didn't even, I mean, we didn't have a full-time physical. Right? It was only part-time. And I don't believe that a club like Liverpool and the size and the way football's changed and the technology and, you know, the medical side of things to teach about that 10. People working at a club now on the medical side of things, masters and two or three physios and one thing or not. Back then, we only had a part-time physio. It's just amazing. And yet, they've done as well as they did. It's just uh, an incredible club. You know, one that, you know, I feel very privileged to have been at. You know, you get back in your career and, you, you know, you start at West Ham and then that month, you know, give me an opportunity and then film, give me my first big opportunity playing and then Oxford where I won a trophy. But then, you know, the pinnacle was Liverpool. You know, it was a club where my first one season, so I just highlighted to you. You were going into games not thinking you were going to win. Yeah. Because you were going to win. It was how many you were going to win by. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't that you were, uh, you know, you were thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be easy. It was just they had so many good players and they were so used to winning. That was their mentality. You know, it was, it was incredible. I never had that. Before I went to Liverpool, and I certainly didn't have it when I left Liverpool. Uh, it was just right there. I've been my first three seasons, and it wasn't arrogance. It was just that they had this unbelievable belief and mentality about winning. It was incredible. 
you mentioned Ronnie Moran and years ago I went to his testimonial match, Liverpool and Celtic. He really was Mr Liverpool and I suppose for a lot of people who didn't support Liverpool or know anything about Liverpool, he was such an important part of that club. Yeah, I mean, him and Roy Evans just loved and lived the club. You know, their life was Liverpool Football Club. You know, they were there every day. You know, they would, Ronnie would do a bit of the physio stuff. You know, I don't even know if he'd qualify. I'd never ask him, to be honest. But he'd, he'd be doing all the, you know, the bandages and things like the morning. Ryan would be doing all the kit, you know, collecting the kit after matches. Always giving you information, you know, always giving you encouragement. You know, but they just loved, loved uh, training. They loved being around the players. You know, they, they loved the football life, but they just loved Liverpool. You know, that was such a special place. Um, you know, with the people who used to be, it used to be an iconic place. And Ronnie and, and, and Roy were very much part of that. You know, Ronnie, I mean, I heard the story when Ronnie played for Liverpool against Everton after the game, he went home in a tram. You know, and that was back in the day, you know, so that was, that was the way it was, you know. Uh, and he was a very humble man, but, yeah. you know, a very knowledgeable man. And a very giving person, you know, of his time and his knowledge, you know, he, he loves to, you know, just talk about, you know, what we are. He'd give you some of the best bits of information. And then it'd be simple things, you know, really simple yeah. things, but very effective. You know, very effective. I remember going over to that match, and one thing I noticed about him was he's like a lot of people in Ireland would have Liverpool and Celtic as their two teams. And yeah, yeah. When you think of the players, like an awful lot of big name players played. But um, there was an awful lot of um, celebs. I got to meet Jerry Marsden and um, I watched Rabsy Nez, but I got to meet James Yeah or Rabsy and Alan Stubbs and Robbie Fett. Like, my gosh, the amount of people that actually, you could actually see then what Ronnie meant to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he was, you know, because of where he was, you know, he was understated. He, Ronnie didn't like the limelight. You know, yeah. He didn't want to go look at me. Even when he took over the job, uh, when Kenny left for a little while, before Graham Sooners okay. came in. You know, he, 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 didn't, he didn't want that line. Like, he was a bit, was a bit like Bob Paisley back in the day, yeah. or Joel Hagen. You know, they, they they loved the club and they were doing to help them. But they didn't like that line. Like, you know, they didn't want that on them. Um, but, as you just said there, with the number of people and supporters, and they wanted to come and, you know, give, give him a, a, a fantastic you know, occasion for his desert for the testimony and everything that was there was just brilliant and that's typical of of the uh, love that people had from him. He was such a special man, you know, for for I think it was a couple of forty odd years when he was about forty five years or maybe a little bit longer. So you know, when you've been there a club that long it is your life, it is your passion. You know, and he just uh he's just you know, he's sorely missed as well but last year we lost the man that here in Ireland we, we fondly call Big Jack. You know, he gave us as a nation, he gave us belief and he gave people also a, a love of football that, you know, many people you know, weren't that interested in it. For you as a player, what was it like to play under Big Jack? He was top class. He really was, you know. Um, and in, in football, you've got your fixed in. You, know, you really have, and particularly as a manager. Uh, and I, I think you needed that at the school. Because obviously we lost to Wales and I think we drew with Uruguay. Uh, and I think a lot of the fans were thinking, who is this fella? You know, what's this sort of football that he's playing? Um, but I think that all changed when we went to Hampton and we beat the Scotland 1 0 uh, when Mark Lawrence had scored. I think that was when us as players and fans started to believe that, yeah, 
there's something going on here. There's something. There could be something special. Um, and to qualify Ireland for the first ever tournament in '88 was huge. Um, and then to get to the World Cup in 1990 was absolutely incredible. I mean, just missed out in '92 yeah. in England's group where we never lost a game. '94 we qualified. '96 we lost out to Holland. Um, so it just shows you, you know, where he was and what Ireland would do for that now, to yeah. be honest. You know, it'd be, you know, nearly there or, or going to these big tournaments, you know. Um, I think you're quite right. He, he brought the country together. Yeah. I think there was a, he brought a pride to the yeah. international team that when we went to these big tournaments that we weren't afraid. Um, and to get to the quarterfinals in our first ever World Cup was immense. So there was a lot to be proud about. Uh, and Jack was... Uh, a canny man. Uh, he, he was very much his own man, if you like. Yeah. And he was like the north of England, and they're very like that over there, you know. Yeah, much, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he, he, I mean, he, like, you know, when you stood, you know, that was yeah. a great thing about Jack. You, you know, it was black and white. He was, uh, you're in the team for this, you're not in the team for that. You know, mm-hmm. that was very much what it was about. Um, and everyone understood that. You know, when you came into the team, there were certain things you could do and certain things that you couldn't do. He went very, very quickly. But he, he, what he did do, he garnered together a really good bunch of lads who yes. would do absolutely anything to, you know, to do it for him. You know, the lads were gone for brick balls for Jack. He was a very special man from that point of view. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, we all loved him. And, you know, it was uh, really sad that, you know, he had his funeral we couldn't get to it, you know. Yeah. So that was, that was, uh, that was tough stuff. And when you see the outpouring of grief afterwards, you know, it just showed what we thought of him here. You played in three major tournaments and you scored in the three. Obviously, the goal, we'll always remember that goal against England in Stuttgart. Then you scored a penalty in the penalty shootout in 1990. And then the Ray and Chips uh, that we had um, in USA at 94. So as a player, obviously, to play in those tournaments, fantastic. But also to score in, in three of them. Yeah, you know, I wasn't renowned for my goal scoring. You know, yeah. to go back to my stats, it wasn't great. But yeah, I mean, listen, um, to go to your first turn against your great enemy in England and to score the only goal of the game was absolutely huge for me, personally. I think it was great for the country. I think the country went nuts to be honest, you know, because there's nothing better. Um, and I really, I mean, we've seen the scenes back in Ireland, you know, and we've only seen that through papers and mm. I think RTE showed us some uh, footage of what was going on. Uh, and we really, really wish we were back there, to be honest. <laughs> and we've been two places at one time, you know, playing and then being back there afterwards. Because it was, yeah, part of the atmosphere was brilliant. And yeah, you know, getting to the World Cup in 19, that penalty shootout, never taken, I'd never taken a penalty before and, you know, at, at any level, you know. And then, so you, see, and then you see David O'Leary coming up to take the fifth one. And then, yeah, well, 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 to be honest with you, when I looked at the sheets, it was fine, and Andy wasn't too bad, but when I seen myself, David, and cast, I was fearing the worst, I'm going to be honest with you. And I, I think most of Ireland were probably fearing the worst as well. Because if they were going in depth to find out, they were probably, so they were afraid of, they certainly mean David would have been too, they wouldn't have been putting their money on, because we hadn't really taken one before, but, it just shows that, you know, in, in sport, it's about confidence, it's about belief. And if you're ready, you know, you just go up there and you, you make sure that you do what you can. And 94 was, was special because, um, you know, going into the 
competition. I wasn't really, for the first time, I showed I was going to play. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the first time I'd been question marks. And I trained well before going over to America. I trained well in America. And then I got my chance. So, you know, I did what I did, you know. And I, I, was, uh, I still like to do my memory, you know. It was um, something special. Just we didn't, you know, the conditions didn't help us. No. Um, UAB, the, the older age group that was there as well, we just run out the legs a little bit. So certainly 90 was better from that point of view. Uh, but 94, still special playing in the World Cup. Last year during lockdown, RT decided to show those matches. I know TG Carr did as well. And it's amazing because for some of us, we weren't around then. And for others, you're only a child and never appreciated it. Whereas to sit back and really soak it up. And even now, when I heard the first bit of put them under pressure, it just still has I butterflies, you know, just, just yeah. with that. I mean, it must be very strange because even when I go back to Ireland now, you know, I do events where, mm. you know, there's young youngsters involved, you know, they, they have to go and Google you. <laughs> they don't, you know, they don't know it, which is right, you know, I understand that, mm. you know, you know, that, that, you know, it's the dads and the mums and the dads that are there, that they were there and lived it like I did, you know what I mean? They lived it as a fan, I lived it as a player. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can only recount, they can only recount what, what they were doing on them particular days and what it meant to them. But as I said, and you said earlier, we're a football nation. We're, we're a nation that wasn't really all football, and it was pretty split with with the guy and yeah. the soccer. Yeah. But for everyone to come together for the for the soccer because there was a pride in the country tells you how uh, the, the, these tournaments went and what it meant to the people of Ireland. And you see now it, that's your history when you look yeah. back in history and you're looking at your sporting history. The sport in history is, you know, 2002, 2016, 2012, 1988, and then obviously the 94 and 90. That's Ireland's history in these, in these uh, competitions and, you know, what the players did and what it meant to the fans. You know, going to America and seeing so many Irish fans. I mean, the Italy game where, you know, it was like 75% Irish in the stadium was just absolutely brilliant. Memorable goals for club and country. I suppose we're probably going to think, as Irish fans, you'll either go for Stuttgart or 94. I think the size of you, and I remember listening to interviews afterwards and people were kind of going, who who scored that goal? Because for you to actually leap up and beat Chilton. Well, for me, my favourite mm. song was the England one. Yeah. Um, it's not as big as... The Euros is nowhere near as big a tournament as the World Cup. The World Cup is the pinnacle. Mm. It is the biggest tournament you can ever play in. You know, the world's eyes are on you. Yeah. You know, it's only when you go to the World Cup you realise how big it is. You know, the Euro, the Euros back when we played, remember, it was only eight teams. Yeah. You know, it was like the winners of the group. You didn't get a second chance to to qualify. Um. So that was what made it, you know, made it special that you were one of the best in all of Europe to make it. Um. And then to play in your first ever tournament, the country's first ever tournament, playing against England, and to score your first, and it was my first international goal. Um. That just, you know, for me, that encapsulates everything. Yeah. The World Cup one was bigger, there's no doubt. Yeah. You know, it was on a massive stage. But personally, uh, the England one is the one that always stands out because of them reasons, you know. The first tournament, my first goal for the country, um, it was just a special, special time. And for supporters, it was against the old enemy as well. Um, yeah. As you said, you know, you wouldn't be renowned, but you did score some important goals for club any goal particularly that stands out for you? 
Yeah, well, look, I remember the first time I was ever on Match of the Day, which was a big thing for, you know, for, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, like, you, you know, was for Fulham against Newcastle. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, our manager at the time was Malcolm McDonald, who was, uh, you know, a re- yeah. renowned uh, Newcastle player back in the day. And he was now manager of Fulham, going up to uh, to play at Newcastle, who had Kevin Keegan in their team. Kevin had not long gone to Newcastle, so it was all highlighted Super Mac and the new uh, top man at Newcastle, which was Kevin Keegan. And we beat them 4-1, and we played brilliantly on the day. So the highlights was on the telly that night, and uh, a lot of the talk was about myself and the performance. I remember John Watson speaking about the goal that I scored, I chipped... Uh, the goalie from about 35 yards beat a couple of boys, a couple of players on the left came inside and chipped the keeper. Um, and he highlighted that and highlighted my performance. And you know that was the you know the first time really that, that any sort of recognition, if you like, uh, as far as TV wise, you know that it was shown on TV. So yeah, I think that you know when you when, when that happens, it's sort of something you go, oh right, oh I am a footballer. <laughs> it, it started to go well for me. Uh, because, um, you know, I'd had three years at West Ham where um, I hadn't made the first team as such. I'd only got on a sub once and, you know, you, you, you start to question yourself. And, you know, my first season at Fulham to, you know, I think that was in the October that was on the telly. So I'd only gone there, and the, you know, for the start of the season in August. And a couple of months later, you know, you're doing that and scoring the goal and people are starting to look out for you. Growing up, who was your influence? Obviously, Celtic was my team growing up. Jimmy Johnston. I, I, I grew up around, you know, the 67 uh, European Cup win, yeah. uh, win, you know. So I remember I was going to where Jockstein lived, you know, to, <laughs> after the game, uh, even though he was in Lisbon picking up the cup. But there was thousands of fans all out, you know. It was yeah. remarkable. You know, watching it in black and white and seeing what the boys did was brilliant. So I'm, you know, going there to watch Celtic play, uh, you know, going to Celtic Park and getting lifted over the turnstiles because back then when yeah. kids you didn't sort of pay, you got lifted over by a, a fella, you know what I mean? So, uh, it was just it was great. Uh, and watching them, you know, where you had Billy McNeil, Danny McGrain a bit later on and, you know, Jinky. Uh, there was just so much. Yeah, Bertie you know, there were so many players there. Stevie Chalmers, there was so many. Shuggies, we've known Shuggy Chalmers. Uh, there were so many top players. And when you think, you know, to win the trophy that they did, yeah. where we were all them like homegrown players, you know, uh, and playing like they did. And I've seen a few uh, of, of Jimmy Johnson, you know, playing, uh, you know, in, in Europe and just taking, you know, just taking complete control of games. You know, he was virtually unplayable at times. So uh, watching Jimmy and you know, when I was growing up, that, that would be that. I remember the rivalries. I remember the Celtic Rangers games, um, and I remember the ferocity of them. Mm. You know, for fans, never mind players, and that was just <laughs> locally. That wasn't even at the game. Yeah. That was where I lived. You know, you, you would have mates who you'd play football with, uh, but for that day, you know, they were the enemy. Yeah. I mean, the enemy, and it was uh, it was ferocious. Um, but yeah, you know, watching Celtic growing up was. Uh, was was brilliant because they were they were so dominant, you know, and they were great games, the Leeds game, you know, when they played in the the semi final of the European Cup as well. It was just brilliant. Even when you think of it as a supporter and then as a footballer, you had great times. Ray, when you won the league with Liverpool in nineteen ninety, did you ever think that it would take them thirty years 
to win title number 19? No, if you were asked me then, you, you know, you won't be 30 years before looking for winning the title. I would have said, the, you know, the lads with the white coats are coming to pick you up and take you to the Looney Farm, you know what I mean? Mm. You just didn't see it happening, you know, you, because Liverpool had been so dominant. But there was no doubt they were, they were starting to see changes. Mm. Um, you know, the, 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 the type of players that were coming and the money that was, that was around at the time. You know, it was, maybe it was just at the start of uh, the Premier League and you know there was a lot of a lot of players coming in on big money, and there was players there who had done it and you know been there for years, and they weren't getting the same rewards. So I think there was a lot of animosity, animosity around at that time, which didn't help. And then if your recruitment's not good and you get used to losing, uh, it's hard to change it. Uh, and I think every manager who came in had the same problem. You know, they, they were trying. They thought the squad they had before wasn't quite good enough, so they tried to change it, and the players they were bringing in weren't improving it. So uh, it was a vicious circle. Well, there was times though that Liverpool had some very good sides that probably should have done a bit better. Yeah. Uh, you know, finishing second, losing cup finals. Um, but it's just brilliant to see them back. You know, where they've got that respect back um, and winning, winning again. You know, they've got that winning mentality again. Things at the moment, I know, obviously. Yeah injuries but for whatever reason it just there's questions they're falling off a cliff aren't they I mean it's it's amazing what when you're not playing with confidence you yeah. can be the best player in the world and you still you still won't you know won't do it um, because even I mean after they lost Virgil when they lost uh, Gomez and Matip I mean they, they still beat Tottenham at, at home they beat West, West Ham, Ham. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah they beat Wolves yeah. yeah they beat Leicester the Palace seven, but since I don't know that Palace game, I don't know what, how that affected them because from that game to now they've played eleven games and they've lost six. I think it is they've won two of them, drawn three. Yes. So out of them thirty three points, they've only picked up nine. Right, Man City have picked up thirty three, yeah. which is a twenty four point gap. So there's reasons why Liverpool are so far off. But I don't know what's happened. I don't know what when what's gone on because you'd have thought after beating Palace seven 0 they were kicked on again. Uh, but you know draws against I think it was Newcastle wasn't it West Brom during Newcastle lost to Southampton and drew at West Brom you know West Brom. around Christmas Klopp came out after the Man City game and said you know lost the league but I think at Christmas for a lot of Liverpool fans the league was probably lost then when you dropped points yeah, yeah no, those I, teams I tend, to agree. Yeah. I tend to agree with you there that you know where they're the sides that Liverpool were not been over comfortably enough wouldn't they yeah. the likes of you know, I know West Brom had just been promoted, but teams that had just been promoted yeah. before the last two seasons, Liverpool were, were winning comfortably. You know, you just have to look at the, the record. And Anfield's gone from, you know, where it was people were afraid to come to, yeah. you were sort of beaten before you turned up, to now they've lost the last four at home, haven't they? So um, the only thing you could do is, is Liverpool players have done in the past is you knuckle down and you go again. Yeah. And that's what you're looking for. But it seems it seems at the moment that playing away from home, there's a little less pressure on them. Yeah. I don't know why that is because there's no fans at the stadium. Actually, playing in London, I think, is, is better for Liverpool. Well, yeah, you know, they went yeah. in Tottenham in one, didn't they? Went in West Ham in one, they went yeah. in Leipzig in one. I know they lost at Leicester, but for 75 minutes, they gave Leicester the football lesson. And then last 15 minutes, yeah. it just collapsed. Before yeah, Salah so scored know. that goal, they should have been up by more against my dad now is a Leeds United fan and he was like gosh you know what the story is but I think he said at the start of the season though even though they started alright they conceded three goals against Leeds at the very start Yeah, yeah. and he said you know you could have been kind of 
worrying then. But as I said to someone, whatever about this year, obviously have to. I know they've no right, but for a club at Liverpool, they have to get European football. But it's about how they can respond next season. I think next season, in some ways, is nearly bigger for them than this season. Well, it's like most Liverpool fans, is, you know, as a manager, buy. There's no doubt you need to invest in yeah. new players. Yeah. But when you see them going out and bringing in a lad on loan uh, from a German club, I think they're near the bottom of the league and struggling, and then you go to Preston and buy a young lad from 500 grand. Who's injured? He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't give you any confidence, does he? You know, he's not like when they, when they went out and brought Virgil in for whatever, yeah. 600 million or Alistair, amount of money that he cost. Um, you're not seeing that now. You know, we've got Thiago coming in, we had the left back coming in, and then you're thinking there's other areas that probably needed yeah. looking at before that. Uh, so now you've ended up playing Fabinho and Henderson at centre-back. I mean, we've had no centre-back partnerships in the last few weeks and you know, from the had, last 10 you've years. You've had coffee, you've had, had dinners. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crackers, you know, the way it's gone. So, um, yeah, I think Jürgen, yeah, hopefully, you know, he's um, he's going to have some money to spend and spend big. Because if you're a big club, you've got to buy big yeah. players. You want to improve. Right? You've got to improve it by bringing players better than you've got. You know, you're not just bringing in players for the sake of it. You need to bring in players that are going to get you to the next level. Um, Liverpool did it before with Alisson and Van Dijk, as I said. Look at Man City now. I mean, yeah. they realised that they were conceding goals and losing games because of the defensive situation. And they bring in Diaz. And, you know, all of a sudden, it's changed. They've got, and then obviously their engine and the rest is, is pretty good as well in comparison to, to Liverpool's. I'm sure you just how key certain areas of the pitch are. You know, like not just about scoring goals; it's about defending as well. And without Virgil and Matip, she has a lesser extent and Gomez to a lesser extent. But Virgil was the glue. Um, how big a player he was. Listen, I won't even ask what the story is with Celtic because we could, we could be here okay. all day. Yeah. But it's it's just I think it's a season to forget when you think of the ten was uh, was there. Would you like to go into management? I know you've um, you know, too long, too late now, too late now. I wish I went in here earlier. Hmm. I really do. Um, something that I probably should have went into um, and didn't. I didn't. I, I, I'll coach her a little bit. But I was probably a half-hearted. Um, I really should have went into a little bit more in depth, but. At this stage, you I mean, I did an interview for uh, a radio station when Mick McCarthy became Cardiff manager, and they were saying to think Mick's a bit too old for the job. <laughs> so, that, so that's where it's at, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Mick's been around the game a long time, so he's got a lot of experience. So um, he, he's, he's turning into a younger man's profession, if you like, um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. We'll have to wait and see over the next few years, but um, yeah, I like to have managed, um, but it, it, it didn't turn out that way. The Republic, I was talking to Niall McGinn from um, Aberdeen in Northern Ireland, and we were just saying about how yeah. Michael O'Neill, when he took over Northern Ireland, how you know he couldn't buy a win, and it's kind of the same with Stephen Kenny, just between everything and injuries, then all of a sudden COVID and the little bit of luck, because he's trying to kind of change the mindset and the way the team play. How are you ahead of the upcoming qualifying campaign? Well, obviously, like, I think a lot of Irish fans are all, all concerned, aren't we? Mm. You know, for, for the obvious reasons, is 
you know, it's it's nice to try and change the style of football, of course, but you've got to change the mentality of youngsters as well yeah. and clubs. You know, it's not just in the right. I mean, if it was just Stephen trying to change it, you know, you know it, it, it probably wouldn't work. He needs everyone to buy into it. And don't forget, these players are playing at clubs where maybe their manager, the manager, their domestic clubs aren't playing that sort yeah. of football. Or, so it can be very difficult to, to change when you've only got the players for such a short yeah. space of time. But, you know, I think we all wish them well. You know, because no one, no one wants to see them fail, do they? Everyone wants to see them succeed. Because you want to see them, then that's a team succeed. It's as simple as that. We all want them to do well. Um, you just need a bit of luck, for one. Uh, and we need to, start to try and find a way to score goals. Yeah. Um, and all the all the games that we've played, you know, the the one recurring theme is the lack of goal scoring opportunities that we're creating. And it's something that yeah, once again I come back to. You know, if you've not got the players for any length of time, it's hard to work on that. You know, you you know, it's one you, you, you try to work on passing out the back, you try to work on defending, and you try to work on the attack, and you've only got a day to do it. You know, the players can absorb everything that you try to tell them. So it's, it's a very difficult job, uh, but we really, really just hope that we get things right for the upcoming matches and start putting a few results together. Uh, maybe it'll be better when fans are back in the stadium for you know get a few people in there, you know, some supporters on site behind the players, um, and that will spur them on a little bit more. So I think there's a few domestic clubs would like that. As well. I was going to say that for Liverpool, and Celtic, that. and Ireland. with lots of top players but what is it like to play with my good pal Paul McNally <laughs> oh my god yeah. oh yeah yeah uh, I was thinking if he was a bar of chocolate he'd eat himself my god yeah. you <laughs> said that not me <laughs> yeah, yeah he's a lovely lad um, we, we've had some great times together um, but should you really be talking about him now or even talking to him <laughs> did that have to I know yeah he done me up he done me up like a kitten there didn't he so um <laughs> Listen, I will not forget. You know, in life, you're always you'll always get your chance to uh, put things right, and I'll uh, I'll make sure that he's great company, great laughs, and we always have a great time. So I love coming over 
and playing in them uh, Irish games when he's around because uh, he's always life and soul at the he park. Is, and yeah. He's, uh, he's just, yeah, what he's does he want to get with Macker? He's genuine. My nephew is... He's one next month, but I can't wait for his daddy to sit him down and show him all the goals that Ray Houghton scored and that his auntie, Denise, had a great chat with him. Thank you so much. As a Liverpool fan and an Ireland fan, thank you so much for the memories. No problem. Hopefully Thanks a lot. Things will change for our clubs in the future. And hopefully it's